0: Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now, who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to season two of Haunting History podcast. We're so happy to be back. We needed that two-week break.
1: A lot happened over the two-week break. A lot happened
0: over the two-week break. And I have, I'm so excited. Today, I have both my co host Haley. Hi. And Tress. Hey. So excited. And we're kind of burning the midnight oil tonight because we're going to be doing a series that starts today on the Black Dahlia. And we couldn't do it in one episode. We're going to do it in a series of three. We're excited to be back. There's going to be a lot of changes for season two. We have a new logo. We have a Patreon page. What else is new? Our sound. Our sound is new. What do you think? Let us know. What else? We have more. Patreon page, a new logo, new episodes. New year. New year. But There's something else new. I think that's it. New. We're starting at the new year new. So let us know um, our new logo. Hopefully we'll be up with our first episode. So let us know what you think of our logo. You can email us at hauntinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram at, what is on Instagram, Haley? Uh, haunting <laughs> History. I think
1: it's just Haunting History, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so.
0: Haunting History. But you can search by Haunting History Podcast and it'll show up that way. Uh, Facebook, Haunting History Podcast. Twitter, Haunting History Podcast. And just find us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of the new logo. What you think of the Patreon page. What do you think about our new episodes? Oh, I know what else is new. Um, we're doing a new publish date. We're not going to be publishing on Mondays anymore. We're going to be publishing on Tuesdays. We all have full-time jobs. And I do all the research, which takes days and weeks sometimes. Particularly on this episode, it took months. Uh Haley does 99% of the editing. And... It's a little hard sometimes to get it all finished by Sunday night. So we're giving us one, ourselves one extra night to finish the editing when we get home from work, our regular 40 hour a week job. And, um, we will be publishing from now on on Tuesday mornings. So those are the new things. New logo, new date, new episodes, new year,
1: new sound, new sound. That's what I'm most excited about. excited (laughs)
0: about. And the new Patreon page. So look us up. Before we get started today, I wanted to play. Another podcast, it's, I love this podcast, it's called Ghost Town. And I'm gonna go ahead and play the trailer for you now.
1: Also, do you like podcasts? Sure, you do, which is why you should listen to Ghost Town, our comedy podcast about the abandoned, mysterious, haunted, and unexplored. From the Berlin Wall to the Los Feliz murder house to the room that Janice Joplin died in, we'll be there. If it's cool with our lawyers, we have lawyers. Go with
2: it. Wherever it is, we're going to hash it out and I don't know, probably solve it. And
1: we have mugs. We have
2: mugs. Go with it. Ghost Town, a podcast about mysterious, abandoned, and unexplored places.
1: Subscribe to Ghost Town on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Love
0: their promo. It's better. It made me feel bad about mine. I sent a mine and kind of made me feel a little bad this is really good. On this episode, we begin what will be a three-part series on the story of the Black Dahlia. Originally, I thought I would do just a normal 40-minute, 40 45-minute episode on the story, but then I started researching and researching and if you've been listening, you know me by now, more research and a bunch of time spent on ancestry.com. And I realized how much of the story in her I didn't know. I thought I knew a lot when I started this. I really, I didn't know half of it. I mean, I knew like the preliminary stuff and the sensationalized things, but I didn't know the whole story. And I mean, as a true crime in Hollywood buff, I really thought that I knew so much of it. And most of the people you ask know some are part of her life and the death that made her famous. But how many people actually know her? the person behind the story. And that's what we're going to try and do in this first episode, introducing you to the person behind the story, a girl named Elizabeth Short. On the morning of January 15th, 1947, a mother taking her child for a walk in a Los Angeles neighborhood stumbled upon a gruesome sight. It was the body of a young woman sliced in half at the waist. The body was just a few feet from the sidewalk imposed posed in a way that Betty Bursinger, who was a local resident, thought for just a split second that it was a mannequin. Despite the fact that the body had been cut and mutilated, there was not a drop of blood at the scene, which ultimately led investigators to believe that her death had happened somewhere else. It would become the most famous unsolved case in Los Angeles history, or is it? Some claim to know who committed the horrendous murder, but we'll get to that. Today's episode is about the victim, not the story, not the movie, and not hype to sell books or gain fame, or back in 1947 to sell newspapers. The person whose body was found would soon become known as the Black Dahlia. She was born in Hyde Park, Boston, Massachusetts on July 29th, 1924. She was the third daughter of five daughters of Cleo and Phoebe May Short. And this part of the story, that's although it's not important to the investigation or solving her murder, it is important to remember that she was a person, a young woman, only 22 years old, younger than me, younger than Haley, younger than Tress.
2: A lot younger. <laughs>
0: And she's a girl, like a young girl. She lost her life in one of the most brutal murders in Los Angeles had seen at the time. And the case took on a life of its own. It's, and I think it's really easy, if not purposeful, to just distance yourself from the story. And maybe part of it is for self-preservation even because it's a hard story to hear. And it's even a harder story to tell if you really, really dwell into it. The end of her life has been fodder for the media as in newspapers back in the 40s. And you'll get to hear later how badly the newspapers back in the day handled it and the things that they did to get their stories. And now books and movies and I counted at least six different websites dedicated just to this case. And that's not including all the websites that are like armchair detectives and things like that who have touched on the story. I'm talking about there's at least six to 10 of them that are just named for her. It makes it easy not to remember her as a person, a living, breathing young woman who left people who cared for her and loved her and had her entire life ahead of her. The case was so famous that every news source across the nation covered it and its investigation. At one time, hundreds of investigators were combing through evidence and interviewing something like 190 suspects and dealing with hundreds, if not thousands of tips that came flooding in. The media started calling her the black Dahlia. No one knows for certain how the name evolved. Some say she was nicknamed that before her murder because of her black hair and her black clothing, or because she was seen sometimes with a black flower in her hair, or even because of a movie that had been out the year before called The Blue Dahlia. Although people close to her deny that that was the case, she was never called The Black Dahlia in life. Others say the name was applied by journalists to sensationalize a crime, or a combination of the two, which is what I sort of believe, maybe. Either way, it's time to take her name back. 71 years later, it matters that she wasn't just a moniker, or a sensation, or a headline. She was a girl, a girl named Elizabeth Short. And for that reason, that's what we'll be calling her today as we talk about her life, her death, and her murder that may never be officially solved. How much do you guys know about the Elizabeth Short case?
2: Well, I know parts of it because I have been researching as well with you. (laughs) I I I started researching and then I kind of...
0: Stop. I just want our listener to to know that the book is actually sitting in front of you right now. She's trying to catch up as I'm talking. (laughs) She's trying to read because she's going to, you know, finish the book while we're sitting here.
1: Haley, what do you know? I don't think I know a lot. I know that it was this crazy thing that happened a while ago, but I actually didn't even know her name was Elizabeth Short.
0: That's the thing. I think that even during 1947 when I mean, every single paper in the nation was covering the story, so they were all referring to her as black as a black doll. Yeah, I don't think that people even back then, unless they were up on the news and they read every article, I don't think even people back then across the nation knew what her real name was.
2: I didn't know what her real name was until we jumped into this, even oh, you though I knew of the case, knew of the movies,
0: and you still didn't knew know of the band in the band, I know. <laughs> is that weird? I think that that's kind of why I wanted to do um, this in episodes. I think it's really important to start the, do the first episode and make make people remember that she. I'm 22. She's just so young. Think back to being 22, 22. Or She was 22 years old. So she was born in 1924. I mean, that's so young. I mean, the fact that she was even on her own at 22 back in 1947 is probably kind of weird too. I mean. She should have been living at home with her parents and things like that. But she was just so young, and I don't think the pictures do her justice or show how young she really looked. I mean,
2: no, she looks like in the pictures she's probably in her mid to late twenties.
0: Maybe yeah, some of them are even older than that. She didn't. I saw young. some
2: high school pictures of her and. She looked like a 20 something.
0: People say that she had an air of s- sophistication about her. And we'll get to that towards the end. I have some quotes from people that knew her. When Elizabeth was just three years old, the Short family relocated to Massachusetts. From Massachusetts to Maine, she was born in Massachusetts. And they moved from Massachusetts to Maine, but then they came back and settled in Medford, Ma- Massachusetts, which is a Boston suburb. And that's where she was raised. Her father, Cleo, his name was Cleo, built miniature golf courses until the 1929 stock market crash, when he lost most of his savings and the family became broke. Now, get this: this, I mean, her her life started out rough. Anyways, in 1930, Cleo's car was found abandoned on the Charleston Bridge, and it was assumed that he had committed suicide by jumping off in off the bridge into the Charles River. Elizabeth's mom, believing that her husband was deceased moved with her five daughters into a small apartment and got a job bookkeeping. Apparently she got several jobs to support the six of them. So he faked his death. I'm telling you that now. We're going to get more deeper into the story of who he was. But he faked his death and left his wife with five daughters. During the Depression. During the Depression.
2: He sounds like a real
0: douche. 100%. (laughs) I mean, like that's just insane to me. I mean, I was trying to find if um maybe he had a life insurance policy, and i I wasn't able to find it, but i'm I'm wondering if maybe that's why he did it to sort of at least they would have money to survive it, the fact that she did survive with five daughters, I kind of feel like there might have been some money left to her because she worked to have him declared deceased, so maybe she got some insurance money, maybe he did it so that they had money. I don't know.
2: But don't you usually not get money if you killed yourself?
0: No, I, no, you can. There, no. there, there are can, some. Just, Yeah, and I, I don't know at what point insurance companies started to say that you couldn't get, I mean, maybe because of things like this. Yeah. But I, I believe back in 1947 you could, even in a suicide situation. And I think it depends on how long you have the policy for, too. Like, I don't think you can get a policy today and jump oh, off the freeway tomorrow. Off yourself? Yeah.
2: Who would jump off the freeway? That is a horrible. Oh, this is an awful thing to happen. Nobody dies that way.
0: Do you know what they do they now? Hurt
2: themselves really bad. Well, oh they, no, I saw they, they do die. They all the ones out here they do not. They usually just injure themselves really bad. But the one recent, all the semis, yeah, they block, block it. it. They so do they they barricade. Yeah. yeah,
0: If you haven't ever seen the picture of, have you ever heard of that, Haley? No. When a jumper is on the freeway now on an overpass, they line up all the semis going in both directions. The semis? I know what did I call sem sem semis sem. Where are you from? I don't don't know. know. Why can't I say that word? I don't know. Um, Big truck rigs. They park the big rigs underneath the overpass so that when they jump, they it's like a couple feet. But can you jump between them if you were if you're determined? I don't know. But anyway, he. It's a
2: deterrent.
0: It's yeah. It shows that people care. That's for sure, right?
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: Anyway, she she believed that he was dead, and she went and got a job, and multiple jobs, to support the six of them. In her youth, Elizabeth suffered from a lung ailment, and I haven't been able to determine which one it was. Someone said it was tuberculosis in one thing. Was it tuberculosis? You read yes. the book. Okay.
2: I believe that's what it was. She had surgeries and... To
0: drain her lungs. Like, mm-hmm. she had a scar from draining her lungs. So she suffered in Massachusetts, too. I mean, that could explain partially why she ended up being such a traveler. that yeah. The weather in Massachusetts wasn't good for her lungs. She
2: lived in Florida because of the lung issues. That's one of the places. During that she the went. cold seasons she wouldn't leave To go to Florida. And then come back.
0: Right. And that might be part of the reason why she um it's so funny they a lot of, well, and we'll maybe we'll get to this, but they talk a lot about her being a wanting to break into the movies and that's why she was in Hollywood and all the other things. I think honestly, she was looking for warm weather. I think that's she could only survive basically in Florida and California, things like that. It, it helped with her lung It was ailment. probably
2: the warm weather, but everybody has a dream.
0: No, they do. And we're going to get to When you this don't live in California, you're going to go to California.
2: Like? You're going to become a movie star. Yeah. It's so easy. I, so little I, do you know you're going to be a waitress for the rest of your life.
0: Well, the thing is, is that, um, and we're going to, we're going to talk about this more. She, there's no indication, even though, I know you're reading um, the book that Tress is reading. Why don't you tell them the book that you're reading?
2: It is The um, Childhood Shadows, The Hidden Story of the Black Dahlia Murder by Mary Passios. Passios. Can I tell a little story about that?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Because um, there are so many books written about the Black Dahlia. And Tress is, um, I think that we're spirit animals. We, we, uh, Tress and I haven't actually known each other for long. It's been a little over a year now, year and a half. Yeah, it, We're both stalkers. Where I'm mm-hmm. a stalker on Ancestry. That sounds horrible. It sounds really bad, but it's so true. We're not really stalkers. We're not, we are. We're not stalking no, you no, guys. We're not stalking other. Liar. <laughs> she really like does stalk-, stalk everybody. <laughs> um, the She stalks on, she'll find people on Facebook and I'll find people on Ancestry. So I'm more stalking dead people. She's stalking real life people. She found be- out. Tell them what happened.
2: Okay. So when Kat um, first brought up that she wanted to do this story, she said that not a lot of people, she didn't believe a lot of people knew the story. I didn't know that she was going to get into more of who Elizabeth was. So I first I put out a little poll on Instagram to show her that 98% of the population do know <laughs> about the murder of the black Dahlia.
0: But that they know that they know the name Black Talia, but yes. they don't know the story. I
2: wasn't asking if they knew the story, but if they knew it. And then I really didn't have any interest in doing the story. And then one night, as I was sitting in my recliner watching Law you sound and Order, like sixty-year-old man right <laughs> now. I'm really old, you guys. Um, <laughs> watching Law and Order SBU <laughs> hashtag <laughs> Law and Order. <laughs> Uh, I got a little wild hair. And by the way, I never research anything for these podcasts. I let Kathy do all that, and then I just try to wing it. So that's why I sound horrible sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your job is to ask the questions. You're doing the right thing.
2: Um, I decided to just start looking up the Black Dahlia. So I did go on Facebook, and I typed it in. And there's quite a few Facebook pages out there also dedicated to this case. And I came across one, and I was scrolling through the comments, and the admin had mentioned that, if people posted inappropriate pictures of Elizabeth Short, they were going to be completely blocked from the group. And so I started reading more of that thread, and somebody had tagged this Mary Passios. Sorry, Mary Passios, um, in the thread and said that she knew Elizabeth Short. So I clicked on the Mary Ladies Facebook page. And it said we had one friend in common. And the friend that we had in common, it was somebody that I actually grew up with in Wyoming. I've lived in California for 18 years now. I haven't seen this person in 18 years. And so I messaged him, and I was like, how do you know this lady? By the way, she was 12 years old when Elizabeth Short was murdered. and um, But I messaged this long-lost acquaintance of mine and asked him how he knew her. And she was his aunt,
0: great aunt, right? Yeah, it, aunt. it
2: was his great aunt. And before I even said what we were doing, he said that she wrote a book about the black doll yet. So I told him that that's what we were doing, and he then informed me that during the writing of this book, she actually came to our town for two years, and that's where she wrote most of the book, and that's where she finished it. And I was still living there.
0: So that's so weird. It's such a little it's circle. A,
2: it was a very, s- very little town, too, there's less than five thousand people in there, so I probably met this lady or seen her around town somewhere
0: <laughs> it's so kind of weird. I feel like this story has sort of like gone in circles for us a lot where we keep finding some kind of connection to something, and we 'll talk about it again when we come up, when it, we come to it, which is kind of trippy. But I feel like since we started we decided two months ago we were going to do this story, and i um got the case files from the Los Angeles Police Department and the FBI and started reading all the the, the files on this and then you had found Mary Pasios who we sent in a message to on Facebook and although she friended me, she has not responded to any of my messages. We were hoping to interview her, talk to her about it. But Tress is gonna interject when she can with the information that, um, is from that book.
2: Even though I haven't finished the book
0: Even yet. though she hasn't finished it. I s- was, you <laughs> <laughs> planned on it. But we're gonna, um, I'm gonna have a link to this book on our, um, website too. Because there's, again, there's so many books out about, about Elizabeth Short and her murder and the Black Dahlia. But I, this
2: book is more about Elizabeth Short. This is Growing more about her, up yeah. who she is, not the
0: murder. And she claims in her book that she was wanting to go to Hollywood to be, a movie star too. And what I was going to say about and this, we kind of got off track, but there's no evidence that she ever attempted in any way to break into the studios. She never showed up the studios. She didn't hang around the studios. She wasn't doing, in fact, she wasn't working at all. I mean, most of the time she was not working. She wasn't a driven person. And by the evidence, the information that we, we give out through this is that, A lot of the reasons why people didn't let her stay with them for long periods of time is because she was very lazy. She didn't attempt to help clean up. She would sleep all day, go out all night. She just wasn't a motivated person. And typically when you want... when The women who came to LA to become a movie star or break into the movies were very motivated people. They were in the right place. They were trying to meet the right people. To be 100% honest, and I think that a lot of people who have done extensive research on Elizabeth Short... Is her goal wasn't to come to Hollywood to be, and again, I'm sorry, Mary Passius, if you ever hear this, or what's her, the first name of her nephew?
2: Ethan.
0: Ethan. <clears throat> if you read this, and, and and I'm not trying to dispute anything that someone knows who knew her, the evidence about her life does not portray her as wanting to be a movie star. She didn't have enough gumption or enough drive what she did have guption and drive, and what she proved over and over again is that she wanted to find Mister Wright, and she wanted to find Mister Wright in a military uniform. She wanted to get married to a handsome man in the military and have a family. And that she proved over and over again. So I'm I tend to not believe that she wanted to come to Hollywood to be. For, and for another thing, another reason that I don't believe it is she never stayed in Hollywood long enough. In the time that she yeah, left. She was in
2: San Diego quite a bit. She went to San she? Diego.
0: She was in Long Beach. She was in. Where all the military were. She was always where. She was in Ports of Florida. She was in San Diego. She was in Long Beach. In Vallejo near the Navy Yard. Those are the places she was. I don't believe that she was trying to become a movie movie star. I Although that was
2: a goal for most women back then was to find Mr. Right. Yeah. You still probably didn't say that's what I'm doing. No. So I'm going to California to become, to become a, movie
0: a movie star. Maybe, but she didn't. I it would don't be
2: awesome if I found my husband.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't. I honestly think that's the, the sole reason. And, and what's really funny is that she spent a lot of time in port cities in near the shore. I mean, that's what she, I'm going to call it. I'm going to, I don't think that she had any intentions of becoming. I think it would be too much work for her. She didn't want to work. She never proved that she wanted to work. She wanted to find a husband to take care of her. And then, and um, we all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Healy? Have <laughs> I been
1: on that one? Uh, yes. And it depends on what mood I'm in in the day. <laughs> you don't want to hang <laughs> if out with If I want to be lazy and yeah. not do anything or if yeah, I want to you're do Yeah, maybe you're a little bit like Elizabeth Short. Yeah.
0: Maybe. She she had drive to find a man. She did.
1: Um, I wouldn't say have drive I to find a man. I
0: was going to say, I don't think you, <laughs> you have drive for that. You no. don't. But the lazy part, you've got down pat. The being able to lay Fine, in bed yeah. all day. I'm yeah. yeah. not editing this out. <laughs> 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 the laying in bed all day and watching... Documentaries on Shereo serial killers. Documentaries yes. on Netflix. Yes. Yeah, that you can do really well. You it,
2: should check out Law and Order, SVU. I watch <laughs> it all the time.
0: <laughs> Hashtag. Um, she was called. This, we're going to go back to her story. She was called. She went to Medford High School and she dropped out in her sophomore year. She had been well liked at school, and according to newspaper reports, after her death, her schoolmates described her as a movie-struck girl. And again, I'm I'm going to call it. I don't think she was. She was called Medford High's Deanna Durbin. Who was a popular film and s- film actress and singer during the 1940s. In her autograph book, which back then, I don't know if they're calling it an autograph book or her yearbook. There were 10 references to the nickname of Deanna Durbin. One passage read to a friend worth having in Medford High's Deanna Durbin. Another was to the sweetest and cutest double of Deanna Durbin.
2: It had to have been because of her looks. She was beautiful. She was,
0: she was very attractive. And what's really, and all the pictures and I've seen a ton of pictures. Like I've seen pictures in there's pictures in the FBI files. There's pictures in that I had never seen before that are in the Los Angeles police departments file. And the most beautiful picture of her, it was a mugshot and we'll get to that. (laughs) In late 1942, in a weird twist, Elizabeth was reunited with her not so dead father her mother received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband. It was revealed that he was in fact alive and had started a new life in California. Phoebe, go girl, girl power, wanted nothing to do with him. There was one story. Now, there's several different stories about how Elizabeth ended up with Cleo. In one story, it says he offered for any and all of his daughters to come live with him. I I don't believe that and um betty as elizabeth was called by then she was either called elizabeth betty or bet or beth um she was the only one to take him up on the offer and again i'm mean, i doubt that's how it happened based on later information and i'll give you about his her father others say that somehow they found out he was alive i think and whether it be from him writing a letter or not but that um betty asked him to send her money to to send her money but didn't tell him why she wanted the money Either way, he did give her, it doesn't matter how it happened, but he did give her $200. I don't know that he necessarily believed that she was coming to knock on his door, but that's exactly what she did. She showed up at his door in December of, oh my gosh, 1942, December of 1942. She had relocated to California to live with her father, whom she had not seen since she was six years old. She moved to Vallejo, which, where he was working again. This is going to be another indication. So she
2: showed up when she was 15.
0: Um. No, she waited till was eighteen. She was eighteen when she moved to
1: California.
0: Nineteen forty-two. Nineteen forty-two minus is that
1: eighteen? Yes, forty-two I can't minus nineteen twenty-four. It's eighteen. Yeah, no, she waited till was eighteen. There's always a math equation when trust is here. She <laughs> get that calculator out. She. Um, I well, now count. I keep it right there.
0: Um. She. She got. She. Quit school her sophomore year, but she hung around Medford working at different diners and things like that probably to help her mom and then at 18 is when they found out her father her father was alive and she moved to california and um, she had she was used to traveling she had like you said earlier she had gone to florida during the winters because of her lung ailment so she moving to california was probably a dream and i don't know why it's cold here it is cold <laughs> we're such babies there's
2: it's 52 degrees <laughs> and I have leggings and joggers on. I know. that's what people are and a shirt making and a fun hoodie of me right now people and
0: a jacket. People are making fun of us right now because we're <laughs> freezing. We have a fireplace on in my little studio and I have a velour robe and Tress is wearing layers of clothes and Haley's wearing layers of clothes and it, we're in California. It's 52 degrees. It's not freezing <laughs> to us. It's freezing to other people. It's not. Um, but she was used to traveling and she was in Florida and to come to California is probably sort of a dream. And again, this is going to confirm my feeling that she wasn't coming to California to become a movie star. She showed up in Vallejo where her dad worked for the Mare Island Naval shipyard. And I think that's where she wanted to be. It was near shipyards and near military outposts. Their relationship was strained and soon argued about her spending time with a boy with a criminal record that he didn't approve of. I don't know if that's true. And I do know what is true, and I'm going to read it to you in a little bit. Um, that was actually in the police file. Uh, I, I imagine it wasn't very easy for her to take her father's opinion very seriously. She, he wasn't in her life for her entire childhood and then wants to tell her who to spend time with. They soon left Vallejo and moved to Los Angeles where they stayed with one of Cleo's friends, a lady by Miss, by the name of Mrs. Yankee. They only stayed about three weeks and then Elizabeth left. Again, the stories are convoluted. Some say she left because of the rules. Some say she left because he kicked her out. The police records say that Cleo told the police that he kicked her out because um, she had agreed that if she could stay, that she could stay if she would keep house and cook his meals. But she had a habit of running around and keeping late hours. This is where she began traveling. And um, it was something she would frequently do throughout her very brief life. I mean, she was 18 and she only had four years to live. I mean, unbeknownst to her. She was an attractive, dark-haired woman with light, pale blue eyes, pale white skin and some say an air of sophistication which I said earlier and I have to agree with that because again her pictures don't look like she's 18 or a high school student and the picture that you were talking about that of her in high school Mm -hmm. remember she's only 15 in that picture she left school at 16 so when she was taking that photo she was only 15 16 years old and she looked 22 23 there yeah so yeah she did look older She worked occasionally, but was usually without funds, living from hotel to hotel, often at the expense of others. Her mother described her as very affectionate, as a very affectionate, sweet girl. And if she was out at night when she was living in Medford, she would always stop by her bedroom and talk and talk and talk and tell her everything she had done. She was the prettiest of the sisters and wrote to her mother every week when she was away from home. And that's true. She had a ton of letters from her. Shortly after she moved away from her father, she took a job at the base exchange at Camp Cook, which is now Vandenberg Air Force Base, living with several friends and briefly with an Army Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. And it's so weird. So many of the stories talk about someone in the military that she was involved with that abused her and she was afraid of. And it's mentioned in little teeny tiny increments really all over the place. Like people mention it um, in interviews with the police and, but no one ever followed up with it and never, none of the suspects were military, which I find really odd too. But I just wanted to say that because it says it, um, where I got this information about her being at camp cook is that she, she was dating someone there and she left there pretty quickly. She won everybody over at once by her almost childlike charm and beauty. And that was a lady named Inez Keeling was the manager of the PX. Um, Later told the FBI, Elizabeth was an applicant for a clerk a clerk position at the post exchange at Camp Cook. Ralph Ellsworth, manager of the PX, in an interview said Elizabeth only worked a couple of weeks before she took off. Some people say during the interviews with the FBI, she took off because she was afraid of this one man. Others say she just really didn't want to work that hard. It was not easy work. You uh, had not put
2: a ring on it yet?
0: Yeah, Yeah, there's so many different reasons. She was chosen as Camp Cutie, which they would choose a different Camp Cutie every month, like one of the girls that worked there. And she was got hired and immediately they named her Camp Cutie. I don't know how many women live there or how prestigious that honor was, but cute enough to to get that. She lived in a number of towns in the area over a brief period of time, including Val, Vallejo and Lompoc, a 12-year-old boy who lived at his father's hotel, The Hitching Post, in Casamalia, Remembered seeing Beth every day for two months in the summer of forty-three. She stayed in a cabin near the hotel and would often walk to the PO box to collect her mail. Elizabeth left Lompoc in mid nineteen forty-three and moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested. And this is where that haunting photograph comes from. She was arrested September twenty-third, nineteen forty-three, for underage drinking in a local bar. Weirdly, that arrest is what made her easily identifiable once she was murdered was because her prints were on file with the FBI. She was arrested and there was a lady, um, an officer, the arresting officer was a lady named Meryl U. Now, I, I'm going to try really hard to pronounce this last name. It's spelled U N K E F E R. Unkafer? Meryl Unkafer was the arresting officer and she had befriended Elizabeth and even let her stay in her home for nine days. She was quoted as saying that, um, Elizabeth was very good looking with beautiful dark hair, fair skin, she dressed nicely, and even though she'd been arrested for drinking underage, she was a long way from being considered a bar fly. Apparently, she wasn't really drinking in the bar. She herself wasn't drinking. And many, 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 many people, I mean, Mary Passio speaks very highly of, of Elizabeth in her book. Um, Ann Toth, who will come up later, another friend of hers speaks very highly of her, that she wasn't a drinker. She didn't drink. And when she was arrested, she was arrested for technically, being in the company of others that were drinking and she was a minor. So she shouldn't have been in the bar. She was basically arrested for being in the bar and being with other intoxicated people. But she wasn't actually drinking that night. The, the thing about that one night though is that her fingerprints were taken and that's what was used to identify her later. And the photograph of her is probably the most seen photo of her. You've got, you guys have seen. I've, no, I've never seen what you. you're talking about. I've seen it. You've seen it. That it's it to me it's the picture. It's the most beautiful picture out of all the pictures I've seen of her. I it's her eyes are so haunting in this photo.
1: Well that what is that picture that's on the cover of that book? Because that's a really pretty picture.
0: Uh that's I think that's her high school picture. Wow. She's a flower in her hair, which is really weird. I watch Haley not agree with me in a minute. I'm going to show her and of course we'll have this on our website her mugshot but see how dark her hair is the contrast of her hair yeah. to her eyes. Yeah. I mean you can't see it's black and white so you can't see what color her eyes are but to me that's her eyes are very haunting in that photo. Yeah.
2: I don't think that's a beautiful picture.
0: I think she looks beautiful. The, her profile is amazing too. I mean that might just mean me. I hate my profile.
1: <laughs> it's just envy. But it's not yeah, necessarily it's not, yeah. true.
0: <laughs> don't you think that's
1: yeah, she, she has a beautiful face.
0: profile. And her eyes are just haunting to me. That's the one thing. that. I And her hair is beautiful. I didn't love that the hairstyles how, in the how 40s. How old is she in that picture? She's only 18. Uh, what year is this? 1943. 19. So she was 19-year-old. Yay, Tessa, I got a number This right. is
1: the high school picture that I'm talking That's
0: about. Yeah. And we'll have put that on the, the, yeah. page, the website, too.
1: She does look really old for her age. She
0: doesn't look, yeah.
1: Mature. It's, old, maybe not. Sophisticated. Yeah. She's
0: very sophisticated. And they said that about her, that she came off very sophisticated. After her arrest, the authorities had sent her back to her mother, where I believed she stayed. And this is, it's a little ha- hazy where she was, but I think she stayed through the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, she was arrested. What date? September. So I think she stayed through the Thanksgiving holiday that year of 1943. Although some accounts um, have her going straight to Miami rather than Massachusetts. But either way, by early December 1943, Elizabeth was living in Miami with friends and working at Big Dave Rosedale's Delicatessen and Restaurant. And at the time, she lived a little over half a mile away from the restaurants at the Elmar Apartments. In March, and if you're from Miami, um, I don't know where this is, it's, she lived at 220 21st Street in Miami. In March of 1944, the police found records indicating that Elizabeth was in Atlanta, Georgia. And then in April, she was back at Miami Beach. Again, and I'm talking to you, Tress. I feel like she's all over the place. She's going from Atlanta to Miami, back to Massachusetts, back to Miami. I. It doesn't sound like someone who's who's driven to become a movie star. But when she Sorry. was
2: doing the Florida, Georgia stuff, that was for her health. Well, that's what Mary states in the book that, well, that she was, was, was for she her did health. that.
0: Yeah, her mom sent her to Florida when she was younger. To stay with family. But by 1944, she wasn't under the control of her mom anymore. She
2: did go back. She left California.
0: She had to leave California and go to and Massachusetts because they made her. Yeah. Um, and then she went from Miami to Georgia and then back to Miami Beach. In November, she returned to Medford for Thanksgiving again. But then she was back in Miami by December. She stayed with someone named Carmelita Duvall back at the Elmar, Elmar Apartments. According to the district attorney files, Elizabeth stayed in Florida during the winter months of 44 and 45. Which again, a whole year she stayed. She didn't come back to California. So if she was so well, so driven to become a movie star, her her butt would have been back in Hollywood, and she wasn't. She was way away from that in nineteen for two years, nineteen forty-four and nineteen forty-five. She was in Miami. Um, She had been operated on a lung condition, which I had we told you early, and couldn't stand the cold winters in Massachusetts. On New Year's Eve, nineteen forty-four, she met Matt Gordon. This is the man that she would later claim to be her husband. Now, to some people she claimed was her husband. To other people she claimed it was her fiance. It was not her husband. She was never married. In Los Angeles Times, they reported that they believed Elizabeth had then traveled to Los Angeles where she lived for at least a few months with a man named Gordon Fickling. She lived with him? A different man. Well, she was supposedly engaged to Matt Gordon. Um, Gordon Fickling claims that he met her in 1944 in Southern California, which doesn't really make sense because she was supposedly in Miami, but she kind of traveled back and forth a lot. I don't know where she got the money to travel. I know that she got the money to survive and to eat. She got, it was common practice back then that young single women would meet men to get dinner. They weren't making very much money. Women could work in fewer places than men could even in 1947 so I mean, it wasn't a huge job market for them. The war was over, so they weren't needed in airplane factories or warehouses anymore. So their job opportunities was store clerk and bank teller and things like that. So they didn't have women in general on their own at the age of twenty two. It, it, they make it sound really bad that Elizabeth would use men for dinner and food and to borrow money for rent and things like that or buy stockings or clothes. But it, it really was common practice. It wasn't that unusual. It doesn't mean that she was prostituting herself out at all. Um, Gordon Fickling claims that he met her in, in Southern California in 1944. And it seems so weird to me because I don't know someone without a job that could easily travel between the coasts. But she moved I around a lot. I have
1: a, a job lot. and I can't afford gas to get to work. And she's taking trains <laughs> so and stuff. Whatever. But she's <laughs>
0: convincing people to give her money. Another man claimed to have met her in a Hollywood bar also in 1944. But what we do know is that by August 1945, she was back in Miami. And this And this is really sad. She was using men for meals and clothes and rent and stuff. But she would tell people that she was engaged to this Matt Gordon gentleman. And um, when she was in Miami, she received a telegram that her fiance, Matt Gordon was killed in the war. The telegram came from Matt Gordon's mother, which I've read over and over again, how people didn't believe that she was engaged. I, I do. I believe that she was, or she believed, I mean, I believe that, that she believed she was. And, Clearly, his mother believed it, too, because his mother is the one who telegrammed Elizabeth Short. In the telegram, she said, and it's really kind of odd. She said, Matt killed in plane crash on way home from India. Our deepest sympathy is with you. Pray it isn't true. Weird, right? Yeah. Why would she say pray it isn't true?
2: Because they didn't have confirmation yet.
0: I guess. And she says, our deepest sympathy is with you. I don't think that she would take the time to telegram someone who was just a friend of yeah. Matt Gordon's. I mean, clearly it was someone that was important to him. So she carried that newspaper article of his death around for the rest of her life. And she often told people she was a widow. She didn't tell them that she
2: was never married. Yeah.
0: Uh, by February, Elizabeth is back in Medford with her mother and she worked in a theater at several restaurants in Medford and in Cambridge and, um, was busy working on her next trip to California because by June she was on the move again. And this time she was coming to California the shipping records on her trunk are dated for June 1st, 1946, according to the district attorney memorandums, which I have all those. It's so crazy. I have a but No, I don't have the district attorney. Sorry, I have the memorandums from the FBI. She purchased a best ticket to Indianapolis and then to Chicago, where she stayed at the Park Row Hotel from June 24th to July 12th. She is also reported to have stayed at another hotel with a man named Jack Cerno, or Cernu, Cernow, while in Chicago, she met and befriended a young man named Freddie Woods, who would later describe her as the prettiest girl he ever met. She had told Freddie that she was in town for a story um claiming to be a reporter. she had come become obsessed with a story um re- about susan Suzanne her name is... it was a little girl that was murdered um Suzanne Suzanne dignans she had been uh, murdered and she would tell people in bars later on that she was a reporter covering that story I don't to me she seemed like she made up stories a lot like being married to Gordon to uh, Matt Gordon not being married being a widow she told people she was a widow and she told people that she was a a reporter and again she had become obsessed with that case and it comes up quite often in some of the reports about her it says that later she continued west to California and back to Gordon Gordon and who says he picked her up at a bus depot in Long Beach. She checked into the Washington Hotel in Linden and stayed there from July 22nd to August 3rd. While there, she became a regular customer at Lander's Drugstore, attracting men in uniform just as she would all across the country. Elizabeth moved out of her hotel room in Long Beach, and uh, the acquaintances there, the people they talked to there, described her as radiant. On August 20th, Gordon Feckling and Elizabeth Short registered as husband and wife at the Briefort apartments on Lexington Avenue near Vine Street in Hollywood. Now, this is where she's in Hollywood. They lived there until August twenty second, now, 27th. Now, she was with him for seven days and broke up. Elizabeth moved into the Hawthorne Hotel, located just behind the Roosevelt Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard. From there, Elizabeth moved in with a friend from Boston who was living in Hollywood. Her name was Marjorie Graham from Cambridge, but had, she had moved to Southern California, had bumped into Elizabeth sometime around August 24th and 25th. Beth arranged to stay a night or two with Margie Margie and her roommate, Lynn. And there's a whole other story about Lynn. Lynn was apparently well underage, like 16. Um, and she didn't get along with Beth. Beth didn't get along with everybody. She then registered at the Hawthorne on her own on August 28th and stayed until September 20th. While there broke as usual, she relied on friends and acquaintances to help her out. Neighbor Don Lays, who was 22, and Harold Costa, who was 31, would often treat her to meals. Finally, the girls were asked to leave the Hawthorne, presumably because they couldn't pay the rent. After the girls left the Hawthorne apartment in September, see, she moved around so much. Beth and Margie teamed up with a man named Sid Zaid. He was a musician um, with, quote, unquote, questionable character, who let them stay briefly at his home before the three of them checked into the Hotel Figueroa in downtown Los Angeles. So she went from Hollywood to downtown Los Angeles. Sid, Beth, and Margie stayed there from September 20th until the end of the month. On October 1st, now this is where she meets one of the suspects in her murder. Um, Sid drove the girls to the home of Mark Hansen on Carlos Boulevard in Hollywood and left left the girls with him. Now Mark Hansen, I'm going to probably talk a lot more about him later, but Mark Hansen owned the Florentine Gardens, which is still in Hollywood. Back then it was a I mean, it's still a nightclub. Back back then, it was a nightclub that had served dinner and dancing. And I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't a good guy, but he wasn't necessarily a bad guy. He would let showgirls and people down on their legs stay in his, his house on Carlos Avenue. Uh, it says in the fall of 1946, Elizabeth was more known around Hollywood. This is when she finally gets to be known around Hollywood. The war was over. She preferred men in uniform. And all of them filled the bars and streets of Hollywood. That's where the military men hung out. Elizabeth was um more known as Betty now. And some of the documents of interviews, Betty was spending more and more time in the bars and on the streets. It was at this time that Elizabeth met who would turn out to be her closest friend. I, her name was Anne Toth. Anne and Beth met at Mark Hansen's home after Anne returned from a trip to San Diego. See, she was like she wasn't in Hollywood to be a movie star. She had the opportunity many times over. Hanson, this is where, uh, what I wrote about Florentine Gardens. He owned Florentine Gardens Nightclub and other properties, including the home on Carlos Avenue. He allowed a young woman down the to stay with him, and over time, Anne said that Mark Hanson and Elizabeth became a couple. But they fought often. I mean, Mark carried a torch for Betty, Anne told investigators. Anne told officers when she was interviewed that she believed that Elizabeth was afraid of Mark Hanson. She was quoted as saying she never said much around him, and as a matter of fact, she... She sort of seemed to be afraid to tell me anything because I think she thought that he was, I was in cahoots with him. I think that I might thinking that I might say something to him. That is probably why I didn't find out half as much as I should have. Mark and Elizabeth seemed to have a volatile relationship. He had many girls staying in the house and not all of them got along. At one point, Anne said that Elizabeth got into a fight with another girl who had her eyes on Mark. Elizabeth moved out of Mark's house around November 13th after another fight with another girl. And it was Anne who found her room at the Chancellor of Hollywood and paid her first week's rent. Anne was an actress. She she actually had money. And she was friends with Mark Hansen. And, she's, and Toth was very beautiful, too. She, she seemed more grounded. She didn't seem like she was one of the gals that prowled the streets and the bars looking for men to buy her dinner. She had her own money. Um, some of the reports say that Mark was angry at Anne for finding a place for Betty to stay. That he... He didn't want Betty to leave and he was angry that Anne got him her out of the house. During one of her interviews, um, the first one, which was just a day after Elizabeth's body was found, and um on and off for the next three years, Anne defended Elizabeth. She was quoted as saying, in the first place, she didn't drink, she didn't smoke, because after all living with her, I knew. She always came in at a decent hour, 11 o'clock or around there. She never came in later than that. And naturally, she was supposed to be sexy and do other stuff. There's a lot of more that goes into it. She was rather, rather than just a decent girl. There's drinking, smoking, whining, and dining, and a few things that go with it. I don't think she was trying to be sexy. She was in it. She was a very innocent in a way. Anne and many others claim that Elizabeth was trying to break into the movies or even modeling. Again, I don't believe that. In almost every book, article, website, or movie, they portray her as being star- struck and wanting to be a movie star. Yet nothing indicates that. In 1947, the movie industry was Hollywood. Yet every chance she got, she leaves Hollywood for Massachusetts, Miami, Chicago, Long Beach or San Diego. And for a girl who wants to get in the movie, she doesn't spend a whole lot of time in Hollywood. To me, it seems like she goes to the ports like San Diego. And her ambitions weren't fame. I think she was looking for Mr. Wright in a uniform. When um, Mark was interviewed by police, he was quoted as saying he had no interest in Elizabeth personally, although many, many other people claim that he did. Several girls have rented rooms here at the house, he said, but I never went out with any of them. She had lots of dates. There was a language teacher that I know of and other persons, mostly hoodlums, whom I wouldn't even let in my house. He told police, "I thought she was fair-looking, average. If it wasn't for her teeth, she had bad teeth. Other than that, she would have been beautiful."
1: He sounds like a jerk.
0: He really does. He's—I he, mean, he was clearly wealthy. on the Florentine Gardens. He let beautiful women stay in his house and then like let them bite. Yeah, yeah. Can you picture him? Yeah. I mean, I know some people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna—I'll—you'll sh- see pictures of him and kind of confirm that for you. Yeah. Um, finally, in December of 1946, which was just one month before her death, Elizabeth traveled to San Diego. Some think, some claimed to the police that it was to get away from Mark Hansen. Um, she ended up living with a girl named Dorothy French and her mother, Elvira or Avira. Her name is spelled differently in a couple different things. The story goes that when Elizabeth arrived in San Diego, she had no money. So she spent a bunch of time at a local theater where Dorothy worked as an asherette. One day, Dorothy found Elizabeth asleep in one of the theaters. She took pity on her and brought her home with to live with her and her family. Elizabeth did not make a very good impression on Dorothy's mother. She lounged around all day and left every evening. So now there's two people. Her dad, who said that she just laid around, didn't do anything, and then went out at night. And um now Dorothy and her family are saying the same thing. It was on one of these nights that Elizabeth met Richard Red Manley, who was a salesman. On January 8th, Manley picked up Elizabeth at the French house with the intention of going to Los Angeles. They made a stop on the way and spent the night. And on January 9th, 1947, he dropped Elizabeth off in front of the Biltmore hotel in Los Angeles. After her name was released to the media, people came forward saying that they knew her. Police quickly established the last sighting of Elizabeth was that evening of January 9th at the Biltmore hotel, four days before her death. People claim that she went missing, but some say that there are credible witnesses, and in one of them is Steve Hodel. He says that he found credible witnesses, and in, in Steve Hodel, I, I haven't mentioned him yet, but he's one of the authors of one of the books, and we'll get to that. He claims that the mystery has been solved and the murderer has been found, which is also his own father. He says that there were credible witnesses seeing her between the ninth and the fourteenth. The police say that there were no credible witnesses that had seen her between the 9th and the 14th they can't the police say that they can't account for the time and to be honest the people investigating many years later are relying on the memories of people who may or may not have seen her my own opinion was that elizabeth encountered the wrong person this is what i truly believe after doing two months of research because of, i don't because they say there were no credible witnesses that had seen her from january 9th to january 15th when her body was found I believe, and, and maybe it's just instinct, like your own personal opinion from reading so much, you get kind of involved and you feel like you know these people. I believe that sometime on the night of January 9th, Elizabeth encountered the wrong person and sadly may have spent the last five days of her life being brutally abused before her body was found. And, and what happened to her body? It, it to me, it sounds like they, he had her for days. People who knew her back in Medford are quoting as quoted as saying, Elizabeth, or Betty, as they called her, was sweet, innocent, and almost naive, that she wanted to get married and settle down and have a family of her own. Her friend, Ann Toth claims that she never drank, never smoked, and was always home early. The newspapers at the time claimed that she was a working girl, and I do that in air quotes, you guys can't see me, that she used sex to get money to support herself. Um, One police officer, and this is a little blurb I found from one of the police officers, and I didn't say which police officer it was, was quoted that he didn't understand why the case became such a big deal, that a girl who was a custom to keeping company with strange men ended up dead. What else did you think was going to happen? Another detective said that she was a dirty girl who lived a dirty life and didn't deserve the fame in life and or after death. It's so hard to know the truth. We do know that she relied on others to survive. I mean, she's there's many people that say they gave her $5. People say that they paid for a hotel room. I mean, many, many, many men did give her money. One of the things I read said that she um, spent time with men she did not know, and no one really wanted to live with her. Her father, Goldie Gordon Feckling kicked her out uh, in seven days. The Frenches in San Diego made it very clear to the police that she was lazy and slovenly and didn't do anything and just wanted to go out and meet men. And, and I mean, I don't know. Was she sweet and innocent? She, she left with red Manley, Robert Manley. She did spend the night in a hotel room with him. She did not hold any job down for any length of time. But then again, she was 22. She was barely, just barely out of being a teenager. And she probably raised herself often, and you would know a lot more about that having read Mary Passio's book from back home. Um, there's a website dedicated to the Black Dahlia murder case that I actually spent a lot of time that had quotes from people who knew her. And I'm going to let Haley and Trust take turns reading the quotes, but you had, what did Mary say about her? Cause Mary, the quotes that I have is, um, one of them is her, her brother is Mary Passio's brother. But what does Mary say about him?
2: Um, Since I'm not finished with the book.
0: Again. (laughs) Again. You only Um, had two months.
2: Yeah, sorry. And I could have gotten this read in one weekend. I know. And you
0: told me, like, I'm going to read it really fast and give it to you. And then I never (laughs) got it.
2: Um, Elizabeth was very, the way Mary explains it is she was very kind. She basically took Mary under her wing and. Protected her. Yeah, protected her, took her to the movies, made her feel good about herself, took her out for ice cream, warned her. Kept her safe of, from the uncle or whatever. Of dangerous men that were in her life or that she could be around that were back there. She does say that she was an aspiring actress, wanted to go to Hollywood, talked about Hollywood and becoming an actress. See, I just, I'm not the-
0: buying that. I'm not buying the whole Hollywood thing. She didn't spend enough damn time in Hollywood to... I know you read, I mean, I, and me especially, I read so many biographies about old movie stars. Like my biggest fascination is like Silent Hollywood and and things like that. And and the women who wanted to break into movies were the women who, they were very driven. I mean, Marilyn Monroe was one of the most driven women she ever. She could
1: have just been like naive, like, oh my God, that sounds so cool. I want to do that, but not ever worked. You can have a dream to do something and not work it. And not really it. work towards it. Yeah.
0: Like, that'd be nice if someone discovered me and that was yeah. it. Yeah. Um, especially
1: being lazy you
2: want to be discovered but you're not going to put the effort into doing it maybe like the Lana Turner she liked the idea, she didn't like the work I want to be a CIA agent but they haven't discovered me (laughs) yet (laughs) they
1: haven't called you
0: at home and asked you to join
1: their they haven't said I can do it without (laughs) any training and school Um, or the physical test
0: (laughs) I'm going to let Haley and Trust take turns Mm -hmm. reading some of the quotes that I found about who Elizabeth was back in Medford and what the people who knew her best um, had to say about her
1: so Betty was a porcelain China doll with beautiful eyes. Think of them as blue, but sometimes would change depending on the color she wore and became greenish in a daughtery Medford classmate. She was always
2: friendly, never at a loss for words, and it wasn't just that she was so pretty. There's a lot of pretty girls. There was something different. She was someone you liked to watch, the kind of girl boys might sneak looks at, but wouldn't get tongue tied if she spoke to you. And that walk of hers. It wasn't put on. She always walked that way. Even in junior high, I always thought that if she had a glass of water on her head, she wouldn't spill a drop. Bob Passios, Medford neighbor and classmate. On that note, in the book, Mary talks about her dad always looking at Betty.
0: She drew the attention of men. I mean, clearly. She would go to the
2: window when she was coming home. Like, even the father, they make comments about that. Which is
0: kind of creepy when you really think about it. She's a young girl. Like, come on. But she drew attention. I mean, clearly.
1: She didn't look like a young girl. No. Betty was good, sweet, funny, not stuck up, always stopped and chatted, made you feel at ease. And what a walk. The truck drivers and men would stare when she walked down the street. It was a wonder there weren't more truck accidents when she walked down Salem Street. She just looked so graceful, but eye catching. Something to look at. Dorothy Hernan, Medford Neighbor. That's weird that so many people like notice her walking. Wait, like that so her walk was something significant. that was like, her, yeah.
2: Dottie Elizabeth's sister. Betty and I were going to be movie stars. We were all entranced with movie stars starstruck. Spent hours talking about movie stars, about going to Hollywood. We performed using the shorts' front porch as a stage. Every Friday, as soon as the song sheets came out, we'd pull our money. Get the latest sheets and spend hours singing. Betty imitated Deanna Durbin. Walked like her, talked like her, and in my eyes sang like her. Eleanor Cruz, Medford neighbor and friend.
1: Her hair was very dark, black. She liked to be admired. No one had bad thoughts about her. I just liked her. Once you saw Betty short, you couldn't forget her. Emma Passios, Medford neighbor and friend.
0: So clearly, people liked her and thought highly of her. I mean, they talk a lot about her looks, but...
1: Yeah, no, like, it, people were just enamored by her. Like, just like the pretty girl at school is almost like how it seems like. Right. Or
0: did all this stuff come out because she died?
1: Yeah. I don't it's know. so
0: hard to say. But no one from her hometown has anything bad to say about her. I mean, this isn't a lot of people. I mean, she came from a town of how many people? And this is only like six people that talked about her. So it's not probably a good amount. I mean, there could be just as equal amount of people that didn't say nice things about her. But in general, she didn't sound like a bad person. She didn't sound like she was a drinker or she was prostituting herself out. She was just a young girl trying to make it Yeah. to me.
1: Yeah.
0: We don't know everything about Elizabeth Short in her life in California or her life in Medford. What we do know is that she was a traveler, that she roamed. We know that she loved servicemen. We do know that she may have used people to get money in a place to stay what we know the most is that she didn't deserve what happened to her at the time of her death or since her death. There's so many stories and so many untruths. And after 71 years, she's still not at peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Also, you can join our Patreon site for exclusive content, upcoming contests, and information only available to our Patreon members. Visit our website at huntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all the social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.